0: There is another dimension beyond anything you've known before. A world of ideals that are as vast in their significance as they are in their application. You are traveling into another reality. A world that lies between imagination and the touch points of everyday life. A wondrous kingdom whose boundaries are supernatural. You're entering a parallel world. Let's pray together, okay? Our Father in heaven, I'm thankful, Lord, for your word. It's true. It keeps us grounded. It allows us to live in the light of your love and your grace and your mercy. And so, Father, I pray today that the truth of this text will be heard, will be seen, and then applied in our lives. And I ask, Father, that you will uh, help us to see what you want us to see and to hear what you want us to hear. And, Father, may that carry us then through this week. We're thankful for Jesus, most of all. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning. How many of you, raise your hand, how many of you have ever lost something? Raise your hand. You've lost something. Okay. Yeah. Pretty much everybody in here, the rest of you, have lost your integrity for lying to the first question. Okay. <clears throat> We've all lost something so somewhere along the way. And, and have you ever used this phrase then, after you've lost something, it's got to be here somewhere. <laughs> have you said that? And then if you've looked for about 15, 20 minutes, you now sound like this. It's got to be here somewhere, right? It goes up in intensity. You're looking, 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 can't find that thing. Well, recently I ran across a survey of the most common things that people lose. Okay? The most common things that people lose. And there were nine things on the list, and I'm going to show you those here today, and, and you'll recognize them. First of all, article of clothing. Everybody's done that probably, most of all, if you have kids, they've done that. You know, if they've ever gone to church camp, they've definitely done that. You know, article of clothing. Number eight, glasses yeah how many of you lost your glasses? yeah, yeah, I know. We have a whole box of them in the office lost found, so if you need a pair, you'll get one. you know number seven, a backpack now i don't know how that happens because a backpack's pretty big and uh but but people have lost their backpack and and you know can't find it. Number six, your purse now that would be tough. you know ladies, if you lost your purse and and you've set it down somewhere or you know, we have times after a service, we're going through cleaning up the, the pews, and we find a purse, you know, and, and so we take it to the office, and boy, I'm telling you, there's panicked calls, you know, trying to find that purse. Number five are your keys. Now, how many of you have ever lost your keys? And you looked and looked, and where'd you find them? In your pocket, you know, in your pocket. Or in the doorknob, I've seen that happen, you know, that kind of thing. Number four is wallet. You know, we've lost our wallet somewhere along the line. You had to replace all that stuff. That's a real headache. Number three, your camera. You're on a vacation or something. But, and I think that's happened to people out on a trip. They, they lay it down somewhere and, boop, it, it's gone. But number two is your phone. Now, you could combine these days, number two, number three, because you have a camera on your phone. And so if you lose both of those, that's very difficult and that kind of thing. But the survey went on to say the number one thing, the number one thing that we normally lose is, survey said, TV remote. (laughs) TV remote. You know, you're digging in the cushions, you're looking in the drawers, you know, you're even looking in the dog bed. I mean, you're looking everywhere for that TV remote. And, uh, and we lose those kind of things on a regular basis. Now, the interesting thing about that is on that list, I did not see uh, the answer, either a card or a piece of paper that has all your passwords on it, you know, if you lose that. Now, I, I've resolved that in my life because I use the same password for everything, you know. <laughs> I, I don't, I, and I change it rarely, you know, And uh, people always say, that's insecure. Well, you know, there's not enough stuff on there that, you know, anybody would want to rob me or anything. And so I I use that same one. But here's the funny thing about that. At the end of this article I read on this survey, it said this, that last year Americans spent $2.7 billion to replace those things on that list. $2.7 billion on things that we lose. Hmm. Well, I guess we've all lost something along the way. On a more serious note, there are other things that we would get a little more concerned about if we lost them. For example, uh, when I asked a few people about this, they said their wedding ring. You know, that would concern me because I've had this ring uh, since August 11th, 1979. And uh, I've been married uh, to Sherry uh, 43 years, 43 years, you know, <laughs> this coming Thursday, 43 years, you know, and, and I, I, and people look at it sometimes and say, wow, you got a real scuff there. Oh, that's kind of looking tarnished. Oh, that's, you know, you know what, that's just, that's just the scars of life. I'm not, I'm not replacing this, you know, I'm not going to do that. I promise, Sherry And I made a vow to God on August 11th, 1979, that I would wear this and be true. And so that's what I do. But if you lost that, that would concern me. That would bother me, okay? Or something else that came up, something that that might bother you, or or you could lose your checkbook, okay? Now, I know someone who lost her checkbook, but I'm not going to tell you that story because I don't want to sleep on the couch tonight. And you can probably figure out who that is, okay? (laughs) Your checkbook. And there are other people who, in a joking fashion, but it's not really funny in some circumstances, some people say, man, I'm about to lose my mind. And on the serious note, there are people who are losing their minds. The thought process, that's a scary thing. And you think about that, and that's, that's really real in our world today that, that that happens. But here's one even more difficult, and I think it would be very difficult for me, and I know it would be for Sherry, is what if you lost your child? What if you're shopping one day in a big store, you know, or a big box store, whatever, and you're looking on the shelf, and there they were right there a minute ago, and you're looking up, and you're shopping, and you pull something down, and then they're not there and you run to the next aisle, and you're yelling their name, and you run to the aisle behind, and you're yelling their name, and the managers are closing down the exits and shutting them down, and you've lost your child. Physically, you've lost your child. That would be devastating. But maybe even more serious than that is, what if you lost your child spiritually? What, what, if, what if you raised them in church, you took them, you took them on Sundays, they went to class, they, they went to Sunday school, they, they went to VBS, they went to church camp, they did all those things, you had them in youth group, they went to all the events, they did everything, they heard the preaching, and then somewhere along the line, in maybe in their high school or maybe in their early college years, they decide they don't believe anymore. I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe anything that's taught in the Bible, and they walk away. That would be devastating. That would be very difficult. And that's the story we're going to be dealing with here today in Luke, the 15th chapter. The parable of the lost son. Have your Bibles open. I'm going to read from mine. You follow along in yours. And the Bible says this. Now, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between the two boys. Now, let me pause there just for a second. And I want to tell you that in those days, you did not receive your inheritance until the father died. So when the younger son came to him and said, Dad, I want what's due me now. It was the same thing as saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Because you were dead, I'd get this anyway, and so I want it now. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. In other words, he took everything. He cleaned out the closet, cleaned out the dresser, the bathroom, everything, and he took everything with him. He was not coming home. He set off to a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, a foreign land, separated from his father. And the guy sent him to feed to his fields to feed the pigs. Now that's not a good thing for a Jewish kid to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. And when he came to his senses, if you've never marked that in your Bible, you should. When he came to his senses, the Bible says, how, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I know. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went home. He went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, if you understand the original language there, it's not just that he threw his arm around him. It really means he laid across his son's neck. There was an embrace, a pulling in, a compassionate hug of the one who's come home. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Wow. What a great story. What a great story. Remember a parable. Remember that? I told you a couple, of three weeks ago, the parable is what? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now that's a simple way to look at it, but this is an earthly story that has a heavenly story to it, a heavenly meaning. And, and the father in the story waiting for the son is God waiting for us. And so there are three things I want you to take away today, three important lessons for us to learn from this story from the Bible and then apply them to our lives. And the first one is simply this. It's important to realize you're a sinner. It's important to realize that you're a sinner. You remember the phrase when he came to his senses? It's important did you realize you're a sinner. Romans 3, 23 has always been there. We've talked about it many times. We've read it. We've studied it. We've heard sermons on it. And it simply says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All have sinned. Not just a few, every single one of us have sinned. And you're sitting there saying, well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know about me. I mean, I, I do some stuff, but it's not really that bad. You ever done that one? It's not really that bad. But it's sin. But the good thing is Paul wrote to the Roman church in Romans six twenty-three and said, for the wages of sin is death. Now, if you're caught up in sin and you're sinning against God, your wages, your pay will be separation from God for an eternity. Okay, but then it goes on to say the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's an out. okay. when you're in sin, there's an out. And so what you need to do is realize that you're a sinner. In other words, when the Bible says in verse 17, he came to his senses. It could be translated. He came to himself. Jesus seems to be saying that you're not really yourself until you're on your way home to God. It's not how he created you. It's not what he wants for you to be in sin. So you're not really yourself until you're on your way home to God. You see, he wants you to come home. In, in his story, in his uh, book, I should say, uh, Kyle Eidelman writes in his book, The End of Me. He writes this. Sociologist Brene Brown's TED Talk on vulnerability has accumulated more than 15 million hits. A significant factor in its popularity is the plain truth that, as much as we fight it, we long for the freedom to admit we're sinful or broken. We don't realize our need to do it. It's true for every one of us. It's most true for those who least realize it. Brown helps us see we're not alone. Here's what she writes. We are those people. The truth is, we are the others. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, or one affair away from being those people. You know, the ones we don't trust, the ones we pity the ones we don't let our children play with, the ones bad things happen to, the ones we don't want living next door. We are those people. We are the people who ignore the hurts of others as long as someone takes care of us. We're the people who yell at one another in the car on the way to church, and then we climb out with smiling faces to demonstrate it's all good. We're the people who think God is somehow more impressed with us because we make up our own rules and follow them. We are the people who have gone into deep debt to keep up appearances. We are the people who look down on others who are different. We are the people who work 50-plus hours a week trying to prove our worth, and we are the people who spend hours a day on social media trying to convince people that our lives are better than theirs. Many of us have some conception in our heart of hearts that a lot of the pieces never seem to be mended. But we will go to great lengths to avoid the full, honest embrace of our condition, that we're sinful. There are just too many voices in our ears telling us not to sweat the small stuff. And by the way, it's all small stuff, right? Ask any of your Facebook friends, and they'll have you convinced in just a few quick words that you're not broken at all. You're not sinful at all. And several hundred social media friends can't be wrong, can they? You see, we don't want to do that. We don't want to admit that we are sinful. We don't want to go there. We don't want to say that. And so what we do is we cover it up or we pacify ourselves and we push it off and say we'll do it later. And we never get to the place where we realize we've come to our senses that we are sinners that's where we need to be realizing what we're doing to god and not only that but realizing realizing that who we've sinned against did you notice when the son came home when he came to the father he said now father i have sinned against heaven meaning god i've sinned against god and i've sinned against you sometimes we don't want to see that do we we, we, don't want, we don't want to know that we've sinned against God and we certainly don't want to know that we've sinned against somebody else. Our wife, our co-workers, our church family. We don't want to admit that, see? But until we do, until we come to our senses, we're not going to do anything about it. King David did when he came to his senses. If you've ever read the Psalms, Psalm 51, verse 4, after he'd sinned with Bathsheba, He said this. He said, you know what, God, I know that I've sinned against you and you alone. Admitting what he had done. And once you realize, realize what you've done, once you've realized what's going on in your life, once you realize that you have sin in your life, then that tells you that you need a Savior. And that's Jesus. And in 1 John, and the second chapter, You find verses 1 and 2, and then verse 15. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. He's the righteous one. And my dear children, oh wait, He is atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world and if you jump down to verse 15 you see this do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world love for the father is not in them so when you realize you're a sinner you realize you need a savior and that savior is jesus but the second important lesson you learn here is not just realize you're a sinner, but it's important to repent of your sins. It's important to repent of your sins. It's important to go and to look at those sins and say, I'm not going to do that anymore, but I need help. And so you go to God for the help, and He allows you to work your way through the difficulty of overcoming that sinful nature. Now, how do you do that? Well, that's tough. <clears throat> that's tough. That's tough going. In fact, when you look at it, sometimes and you look at the story of the son, you'll notice that the son came, he made a plan. He made a plan. He said, he said, I know, I can't stand to live here with the pigs. I can't stand to be in this field. I don't get anything to eat. I know what I'll do. I'll go back home. I'll go to my father. I'll tell him I've sinned against God and against him. And then I'm going to ask him to let me just be a slave or a servant on the ranch, and I'll make my own way. I, I I won't need to be a son. I'll just make my own way. That's what I'll do. I'll go and do that. Okay. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. His son was looking at that, and he was saying, "Father, I'm not worthy to be your child. I'm not worthy to be your child." How many of you here today have ever felt that way with God? You've sinned, and you know it, and you've sinned against God, and you've done it for the maybe 10th, 20th, 30th time, maybe 100th time. You keep going back to it, and all of a sudden you're in a position where you're telling God, I'm not worthy of your forgiveness. I'm not worthy of your grace. I'm not worthy to be your son or daughter. Many people have said that. If I had a nickel, if I had a nickel over all these years of ministry, 47 years now of ministry... If I had a nickel in 47 years of ministry everybody who's told me that, either in a counseling session or in the foyer or in the hallway or after preaching or at a Bible study or in my home or even in a store when somebody stops me and talks to me about what's going on or in a workout center in a fitness gym where I was working out several years ago and a guy came to me and asked me about that and he was saying, I'm not worthy. I can never do that. God will never take me. You'd be where that lost son is. What do you do then? If you're not worthy, why do we even say we're not worthy? See, we, we struggle in our lives to call sin, sin. We want to give it all the other names, right? We want to make it softer around the edges. You know, if, I, if I'm uh, intimate with somebody outside my marriage, I don't want to call that adultery. I, I'll just call it an affair. Sounds better, right? Right? And if I I cheat at at work and I lie about what I'm doing because I think the company needs to look good, and I'm just fudging the figures a little bit. Right? See, we don't want to call sin, sin. We don't want to name it what it is. But I'm telling you, that's what you need to do. You need to go to God, and you need to name your sin in front of Him. You need to do what King David did. When he sinned against God in that way, you need to do what others have done down through the years. If it's a lust of the flesh, tell God it's a lust of the flesh. If you're a liar, tell him you're a liar. If you have a foul mouth, tell him you've got a foul mouth. You need help. You need to get beyond that. You have a bad attitude in life, tell God that's a sin. I don't want to get rid of that. You name it. You say it. Because when you do, you'll react the same way that people reacted on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached that evangelistic sermon. And they responded and said, how, how, how can we do this? What must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, be immersed, every single one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins and a gift, an indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. It only happens. It only happens when you repent of your sins. Now you say, how am I going to do that, Pastor Fred? Well, I'm going to give you three things real quick. I'm going to throw those on the screen, and we're going to walk through those three things that you need to do when you confess your sin to God. Number one, be specific. Name the sin, tell God it's a sin, and acknowledge that you're guilty of it. Be specific. Number two, be sorrowful. Don't be sorry you got caught. Be sorry that you're a sinner. Okay? And number three, be humble. Be humble before the Lord. You know why? Because the Bible says, if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord in due time, He will lift you up. The Bible is very clear about that. And on top of those three, I want to give you just a couple of quick things that I think are important. You may want to write these down. Number one, don't blame other people for your sin. Don't blame other people for your sin. Don't go to God and say, oh God, God, I know I've sinned, but, but God it was really my brother's fault because he told me it was okay to do this if I just went that way. Don't do that. And don't say it's my coworker's fault or it's my wife's fault or my boss's fault. Don't do that. Don't blame other people. You <clears throat> take on the responsibility of your sin. And then the other thing is don't make excuses. You know why? Because excuses only satisfy those who make them. You're not going to satisfy God. And you're not going to satisfy anybody else around you when you start making excuses for your sin and for your bad behavior. So be sure, important, that you realize you're a sinner. Number two, that you repent of your sins. And number three, it's important to receive the forgiveness of God, the Father. Receive the forgiveness of God, the Father. Did you notice in the story, when the son came back, the son came back home, he came home, and he got to his father, and he started to tell his story. You know, he had it all practiced, right? He had rehearsed it all the way home. Okay, I'm gonna tell him that I've sinned against heaven, I'm gonna sin against him, that I want to be a servant, and I'll just make my way that way. I don't deserve, I'm not worthy. Got it all. And he probably said that over and over and over again. And when he got there, he got up to his father. His father embraced him and he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father cut him off. Quick! Let's celebrate. My son's home. He's come home. You've got to know three things about God that are true here in this story, and they're true in Scripture. Number one, you've got to know that God is compassionate. Man, when he laid across his son's neck, and he pulled him into that hug, and he embraced him, that's something that son hadn't felt for a long time. And you can feel the same thing when you come home to the father in heaven and God is also forgiving did you notice in the story (laughs) I, I, I like this part you notice in the story the father didn't look at the son when the son got there the father didn't look at him and say okay okay you work for three years over in that field and then you work for two years over in that field under the supervision of your older brother now if you read the rest of the story the older brother didn't like the younger brother That'd be bad. He didn't say that, did he? In fact, the father didn't respond with any condemning words at all. He just hugged his son. He began to show his love for him. And he embraced him and brought him in close. And he began then, thirdly, because he practiced what Paul wrote in in Romans 8.1, Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. You're home. And then he celebrated. What did he celebrate? He celebrated the fact that the son came home. He celebrated. He said, Quick, bring a robe. Do you know that the robe in those days was only used for the honored guest at the banquet? His son was going to be the honored guest. Bring a ring, put it on his finger. The ring was a family ring. It was a sign of authority. That son didn't have to earn it back. It was given by the father in true forgiveness. Put sandals on his feet. Why? Because only free men wore sandals. He was not going to be a slave, not going to be a servant, not going to be working on the ranch. He was free of all that he had done, and he was now home. Then kill the fat calf, and let's do what? Let's celebrate. Isn't that what they did in the early part of the chapter? when they found the one sheep, and they brought the one sheep back, and what they do? They celebrated. And then when they found the one coin, what they do? They celebrated. And now they got the one son back, and they're going to celebrate. They're going to celebrate. God celebrates when you come home. He rejoices. That you're back. And he's going to say the same thing about you that this father said about the son. He said, my son has come home. He didn't say my hired hand. My son has come home. He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. All those reverses took place because Jesus Christ Can help you come home to the Father. Ephesians, the second chapter, verses one to five, reads like this As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. And like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of God's wrath. Hmm. That's pretty tough three verses. But look at verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins, in our transgressions, It is by grace you have been saved. Oh, it's no longer, it's no longer that you need to be a slave to your sin. You can come home to the father and he will claim you as his son or his daughter and treat you just that way. When Abraham Lincoln was getting toward the close of the Civil War, he was asked by many of his advisors and other people the question, what are you going to do with all those southern rebellious people who wanted to fight against the north? What are you going to do with all them? Now, they expected that he would say, well, I'm going to take out revenge or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to put him in jail, I'm going to, whatever. You know what Abraham Lincoln said? Lincoln said, I will treat them as if they have never been away. Isn't that what the Father's doing? When you've been away in a foreign country, the country of sin, you've been away, you separated yourself from Him, you wanted to do your own thing, you wanted to go your own way, and you squandered it all. And now you want to come home. And you know what God's going to say? Come home. Just come home. Come back. Live in my grace. Live in my mercy. Come home. Some of you today need to come home. Some of you today have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and it's time you stopped living in a foreign land, and you come home. And some of you have been a Christian for 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years. But you've wandered away. Oh, you show up for Sunday morning. (laughs) You put a couple dollars in the plate and you think you're covered. You're not. You're not. You need to come home. You need to come home need to realize where you are in life. Repent of that position and receive his forgiveness. Why don't you do that today? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing an old hymn. I'm coming home. Why don't you come when we sing? Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the privilege of your word. Once again, Father, you have led us down the right path. You have given us instruction. You have guided us into uh, uh, things that we need to apply in our lives. We have heard what you've said. We have seen the results of the prodigal son. And now, Lord, we want to come home. We don't want to live separated from you anymore. We want to come home. So, Father, please, for anyone who needs to pray about that, anyone who needs to make that first-time decision, Father, please, let them come home. I pray this in the powerful and precious name of our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. Why don't you stand? Why don't you sing with us today? And as we sing this great old hymn, an invitation song we've known for years. If you want to come home, you can do it today. Why don't you come home? <clears throat>